Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, just for all the gifts that you give us. We thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that it would be your word, your vision, and your light that shines this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I have to say, uh, I've talked to a lot of friends about this whole idea of brace yourself. And of course, Frank has talked about the video. And I have Christian friends and non-Christian friends who have asked me, you know, what do you think of the video? You know, why is it so important to do a sermon series on brace yourself? Here's the reality. Let's just take the video for a second and push it aside, just as if it doesn't exist. In our life, some of you are older than others. You've already had trials and tribulations that have happened over time. So we're not just bracing ourselves for something that may be coming. We're bracing ourselves for something that is coming. Whether it's, it's the end times, whether it's something with this country, or whether it's just something in your life. Uh, one of my favorite uh, fictional uh, authors is a Quaker pastor by the name of Philip Gully. And I had shared this uh, with Pastor Frank earlier this week. He used to always pray for his boys. He had two small boys. And he always used to pray that the Lord would protect them and keep them from harm. How many parents do we have here today? That's impossible. It's impossible to keep your child from harm. It's not going to happen. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get their feelings hurt. They're going to get bruises. They're going to get dings. Why? Because it's the world we live in, right? We live in a world that's full of sin. So it's going to happen. We can't protect them from that all the time. And when he got this revelation, when his youngest son got sick and he realized, I can't protect him from everything. There are things beyond my protection. He changed his prayer. He no longer prayed, Lord, protect them. He prayed, Lord, give them the strength to come through anything that comes their way. Give them the knowledge of who you are to rescue them from anything that may harm them. See, that's a better prayer because the reality is we are going to go through times of trials and tribulations. So Brace Yourself isn't about something that's coming in November. Brace Yourself is about Christians understanding how we prepare for the things in our lives that are going to cause us hurt and pain. One of my favorite stories is a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. And he had lost everything in the Chicago fires in the 1800s. He also lost a four-year-old son. So because of the fires, because of the tragedies, he had decided to take his family and go across to Europe. So at the last minute, something came up with the restructuring of the city because of the fire, so he had to stay behind. So he sent his wife and his four daughters across the Atlantic Ocean. And he got a postcard basically from his wife saying, I'm safe, everything else is lost. The ship had went down, he lost all four daughters at sea. If the story ended there, that's a tragedy, but the story goes on. When he could catch the next ship to head to, to uh, Europe to meet with his wife, when they got close to the site where the ship went down and his daughters had passed away, he penned the words to the song, it is well with my soul. 
Every time I hear that song, it, it brings tears to my eyes because he talks about how all the troubles like sea billows roll over him. He talks about the things in life that cause us pain. But in the end, because he knows Christ, because he's a Christian, he wrote the words, it is well with my soul. And he talks about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and having hope in that. So you see, troubles are gonna come. Now, maybe we don't lose our family in a fire. Maybe we don't lose our family at sea. And, and I pray to God that we never experience the loss of a child, but pain comes in all shapes and all sizes. So the reality is, we can't stop it, so we have to brace ourselves. And I know the first two weeks, Frank talked about the armor of God and prayer. And today, we're going to talk about fellowship. And so I looked up fellowship and, and it said, fellowship is a friendly association, especially with people who share an interest. So I got to thinking about times of fellowship in my life where I just share an interest with somebody that I know or that I love. Now, how many of you, when you hear fellowship, you think potluck dinners, you think gatherings at the church, maybe meeting on the land, and that's fellowship. That's exactly what fellowship is in one sense. So I thought I would share a little fellowship that I had with my grandparents as I was growing up. I was one of those kids that really, really understood my grandparents weren't going to live forever. Most of my friends' grandparents weren't still around. So I cherished them. I would much rather spend time with my grandparents than I would my friends. Why? My friends would always be there in my mind, but my grandparents were getting older. And I tell people that it's funny because I didn't lose my first grandparent until I was in my late 20s, and that was my great-grandmother. Then I lost one of my grandmothers. And I didn't lose my last grandparent until I was in my late 40s. So I was blessed to have them around for a long time. But my grandfather, Houston, he was uh, a man of few words. Basically, all he liked to do was farm and fish. And he always growled about farming, and he always growled that the fish weren't biting. If you know farmers, farmers are just never happy. They're pessimistic people. But he loved going fishing with me. And so he had this thing where he would pick me up and we'd go, and we usually caught between 100 and 150 fish, and we would clean them, and then we'd put them in the freezer. And he'd always say, we're stocking the freezer for winter. We're getting ready. Well, my grandfather used to go fishing on Sunday evening. I couldn't go on Sunday evenings because my dad was a pastor. And at our church, we had Sunday night church. And there was no way my dad was going to let me go fishing rather than be in church. Well, one day I finally talked him into letting me go, and I said, we'll be back for church if you just let me go fishing with him this afternoon. My dad said, be back, don't be late. So I remember we go out to the lake and we pull up and my grandfather looks at me and he says, are you ready? And I said, yeah, and he did this. Took his watch, looked at it, and he laid it up on the dashboard. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, when we're out there fishing and I go to look and see what time it is, I'll forget I don't have my watch on, so we probably have a little bit more time that we can fish. So we're out there, and I could tell it was getting later. I said, what time is it? I don't know. I forgot my watch. <laughs> and of course, we didn't make it back for church. We didn't make it back to after dark. And normally, I would be really, really nervous. But this was his dad. <laughs> so this was between my dad and his father, not me. 
Needless to say, I didn't go too many Sunday evenings after that. My dad was not down for the tricks that my grandfather was doing. But see, he loved fishing with me. We shared that interest together. That was fellowship we had all through to my adulthood. My other grandfather, my grandfather Evans, he loved golfing. He loved sports. And he taught me to golf at the age of eight. And we went golfing all the time. When I would go home, as, as, we'd go home as a family to Ohio, even in his 80s, he'd say, what days are we going golfing? And to be honest, I remember two times in my whole life that I ever beat him. He was a good golfer. He stood about 6'5", and he could hit the ball a mile. And I remember we went out one time golfing, and the guy said, you know, you're older, you might want to tee off from the senior tees. And I said, no, you don't want to do that. He said, no, he's, he's in his 80s. Let's let him tee off the senior tees. I said, trust me, you don't want to do that. So we tee off, and then my grandfather tees off. We get to the next tee box, and the guy says, you know, why don't you hit back here with us? <laughs> I tried telling him that he was a good golfer. Now, my grandmothers, I like to think that everything I learned about cooking, and I love to cook. If anybody's ever been to my house, I, I'll throw down. You come to my house, we're, we're cooking, we're making food. And my grandmothers always, always taught us how to can, how to cook. And my grandmother Evans, no matter what time in the morning I would show up to go golfing, she would be up making corn cakes and simple syrup. That's what she did. In her 80s, she's still getting up at seven in the morning making me corn cakes and syrup. Why? Because she loved doing that for me. Fellowship is about being with people that you love, doing things that you love. That's all fellowship really is, right? When we get together with family, that's the purest fellowship that we can do. The second thing about fellowship that it's said in the dictionary is that a group of people meeting to pursue, hear that word, to pursue a shared interest or an aim. Okay, so what does that mean to pursue that? That means now we're not just getting together for one thing. We're not getting together just to have fun or just to share company. Now we're getting together because we have a shared interest, something that we're working toward. If you come on Wednesday nights, we're doing the Nehemiah study. We have four more weeks left of it. Four more weeks of ne Nehemiah study. We're getting together for a shared interest of studying Nehemiah and how he handled dark times, how he handled rebuilding Israel. That's something that we need to learn together. I've coached for 27 years, I guess, something in that, in that range. I used to coach high school football and track, but now it's just exclusively wrestling. And uh, I was actually uh, Joe's coach. Um, and so, actually, two former wrestlers back here, Tony also back here. Uh, when, we, when I first started coaching at Cass, I remember we came here, and Cass was bad. <laughs> there's, there's no other way to put it. They were horrible. I think there were seven kids left on the team at the end of the school year. And I was asked if I would help coach because I was a former uh, head coach in Ohio. And I said, no, I don't really have any interest. Well, the, the head coach kept bugging me and asking me what I coach. And I sat down and I said, what's your plan? And do you think you can win state? Of course, he was very optimistic. And I'm thinking, how's a guy who has seven kids left optimistic about winning state? But he was. He said, I have a plan. I know what I want to do. And the first part of my plan is hiring you. I thought, well, you need a better plan than that. So he hires me, and within three years, we had hired more staff. Uh, Joe Kraft, who happens to be the, the PE teacher here, I coached him in high school. He came down, joined our staff, and we brought some other guys down. 
And next thing you know, we built a staff of knowledgeable people who could help the wrestlers identify what their weaknesses were, what their strengths were, and how to make them better. Three years later, we were third in the state. Four years later, we were first in the state. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because we got together as coaches. We fellowshiped. We had an aim, a plan for a common goal. And as a team, we shared that goal. But see, it's not just enough to share it. We had to get them to buy into it. We had to get them to believe it. So you can come to church here and you can sit and you can fellowship, but you have to buy into it. You have to believe in what's happening here. You have to believe what's happening in the word of God. Otherwise, you're just showing up and going through the motions. And we had wrestlers like that. We could probably name a few off. We had guys that just went through the motions. They come in and just practice, but really didn't put any effort into it. And you know what? You saw that when it came time to perform. But the guys who really bought in, the guys who put the time and put the work in, those were the guys who had success. And eventually we had success as a team, not because of one person, but because of everything that we did. If we open our Bibles to Colossians 3, 15 through 17, I'll get you, give you a moment to open it up. If you don't know where Colossians is at, it's right after Psalms and Proverbs. I'm a big believer that not all of us are going to know these things. So here's another thing about helping people. We have to understand that not everybody's on the same level as Christians, believers, as seekers. And I know sometimes it can be embarrassing to open your Bible and not know where something's at. We've all been there. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. But if you open up your Bible to the Old Testament, it's right after Psalms and Proverbs. You have Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And it starts like this. Let the peace of Christ... Roll in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in the word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we look at this, we're called to do way more than just show up and to fellowship. We're called to put action into this. And it's the responsibility of this staff, and it starts with our pastor, and it works its way down, that we are to, to help counsel you and to help work with you so that you understand what it means to be a Christian. One of the things that we're going to do as a church is we're going to help you figure out where you're at in your walk. We have a, a survey that we're going to do as a church. And it's simple. It's nothing difficult. But basically that survey, if we have it in the link, if we can put it up, it's at Lake Point Online backslash survey, correct? And basically what the survey is, is it's a spiritual assessment. Where are you at in your prayer life? Where are you at with scripture? Where are you at in discipling? Because see, if we know these things, then we know how we can better help you. Because I guarantee each and every one of you at a different level in your walk with Christ. So our goal as a staff is to figure out where are you and how can we best assist you and help you. 
Because you ask yourself, okay, so what does brace yourself have to do with fellowship? Right, when you think brace yourself, you're thinking about putting on the armor of God, you're thinking about the word, you're thinking about prayer. These things that you can use actively, right? So how does fellowship fit into that? All fellowship is, is putting all those things into practice. Taking all your spiritual disciplines and putting them into practice. So when we show up on Wednesday night and we're, and we're working as a group, we're actually taking our faith and we're sharpening one another through the word. That's all we're doing. We're learning what it means to be a stronger Christian so that when trials and tribulations come, we don't fold. In other words, all we're doing is building up a foundation that is strong and sure. And we do that with one another. We're not called to do it alone. We can't do it alone. You want proof of that? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I see Matthew, but I don't know what Matthew is. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three, stand, strand, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So see, that's how it fits with Embrace Yourself because as a church, we're gonna have to learn to stand together. We're gonna have to learn to support one another. We're gonna have to learn how to be there in times of trouble for one another. I can tell you right now, our staff has gone through a lot lately. I mean, if, if you could just see the things that staff's going through, and I don't say that to just say, let's lift our staff up, but, but in prayer, we're supposed to, right? This week alone, you know, I knew I was preaching, and my, my mother-in-law fell and broke her hip. I needed a new furnace. And, and we found out that there are several medical things that we have to have that's gonna cost us quite a bit of money. If I didn't have the hope and the joy and the love and the faith of Christ that I'm supposed to have, those things might have crippled me before today. But you see, because I stand firm on the promises, because I stand firm on scripture and on the word, I know that I can get through these things because Philippians 4.13 tells me I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's why we come. That's why we're here. We need to know how to put on that armor of God that, that Pastor Frank spoke about two weeks ago. We need to know how to utilize prayer. And we had a great example of that this week. So if you want to know how that's done, I hope everybody here, if you're not coming on Wednesday, you're coming maybe on Saturday or to another time or maybe doing the book yourself. But this week we saw that Nehemiah, while he was praying, he prayed the promises and he prayed the scriptures. You say, what's that really mean? He understood the promises that God had given in scripture. So he prayed those promises that God would fulfill them. He prayed scripture knowing that Israel had to be rebuilt because it pointed to Christ, the one who was coming to save us all. How can Nehemiah pray the promises in the scriptures if he doesn't know them? How can you reach out to God and pray for God to, to honor the promises in the scriptures 
if you don't know them. That's going to be a problem. A lot of people talk church. A lot of people go to church. But not all of them know Christ. And that's just the reality of it. I don't say that to be harsh. I don't say it to be mean. I say it because we live in a society where there are lies all around us. And lies that tell us what a Christian is or what a Christian can be or socially what a Christian can do. Uh, don't worry about that. I know your church doesn't necessarily agree with that, but you know, they're just, they're, they're Old Testament or they're, they're old school. It doesn't matter. You're saved by grace. Don't worry about it. You can do whatever you want. God will forgive you. That's the kind of society we live in. We live in a society where we're under attack from all sides. I won't name the news station, but there are two different newscasters that recently had said, one said, look, let's not forget Jesus was not perfect. <laughs> Wait a second, what? I had, to re- I had to rewind it. Did he just say Jesus wasn't perfect? And by what authority did he have to even say that? He's a newscaster. Where does he get the fact that Jesus wasn't perfect? If I'm not reading my scripture, I might start to believe that lie. Then another newscaster, same channel, said, look, these are hard times we're in. And if you're looking above for help, stop. He says, it's not coming from above. The help has to come from you. You're the solution. The solution's not coming from above. I said, are you kidding me? But see, if we don't read our scripture, if we don't know what the word says, we're gonna buy the lies that are given to us. I think of our churches out in California, and, and Pastor Frank had mentioned them. You know, and, and there's been a big discussion this week about Romans 13, and we'll get into Romans 13 in, in uh, the next sermon series when we go through Romans. And the reality is, in Romans 13, it talks about not defying the government. But here's the great thing about Scripture. We're not supposed to just read it. We're supposed to dig into the Scripture. So what does that really mean, that we're not to defy the government? And so people who have a problem with churches who are defying the government, I'm going to ask you one thing. What do you think about the church in China? Are they wrong? Are they wrong for wanting to serve God? Are they wrong for praising Jesus? Because their government says they're not allowed. But we support them. So the only thing I can figure is why people don't, don't necessarily agree with what's happening in California, that we should listen to our governments, because... One simple thing, the government in China is corrupt. They're communist. That's not our government. And I'm not saying our government is corrupt, but I'm saying man is. Scripture is full of men being corrupt and, and men who are deceiving others. You know how many times the Israelites are deceived to go in the wrong direction and God has to, has to dole out punishment and then bring the remnant back? If you don't read your scripture, it's a story that goes through all the way through the Old Testament until we get to Christ. That's just the reality of it. So as a people, fellowship helps us brace ourselves because we're stronger together. We learn together. Iron sharpens iron as man sharpens man. That's biblical. So if you say, well, 
I still don't really understand the need to, to really be here. I mean, I do God at home, or I do God on, on TV, or whatever. Where's the fellowship? Where's the testing that takes place? I sat and watched a little bit of Charles Stanley before I left this morning. He and I couldn't have a conversation. I couldn't talk to anybody in his church. It was nice to watch. There were some things he said that was refreshing. But there's no fellowship taking place when I'm watching it on TV. There's no fellowship taking place when I do my Bible studies at home alone. Even more people might ask, well, why do I need to put so much energy, so much focus in the church? I mean, I'm part of things that do good work. I'm part of, you know, Boys and Girls Club, or I'm part of the Shriners, or any other group you want to name. You can put any name in there. Look, I do good things. I help out at, at children's homes, whatever. And those things are great. I'm not saying not everything is, but there are things out there that are worthy cause to put your energy behind. But your energy first has to come here. Your energy first has to come to the church. Why? <laughs> it's very simple. Where is Christ at in any of those other things? Because when it comes down to it, if we want to talk about tragedies, we want to talk about things in our life going wrong, here's the reality of it. We will all die at one point. There's only been a handful of people that didn't have to die, and I don't believe I'm going to be one of those. So death comes to all of us. So if you don't want to brace for something that's coming in November or you don't want to brace for tragedies in your life, brace for this. Your death is coming and there's only two options. I don't care what anybody tells you. There's no purgatory. There's no annihilation. There's no emptiness. There's no blackness. It's heaven. It's hell. Brace yourself because for each and every one of us, that day's coming, regardless of what's happening in our future, near future here. I uh, used to read meters years ago. And uh, when I would read meters, I would listen to Christian radio as I was driving. One of my favorite people to listen to was Alistair Begg. Anybody ever heard Alistair Begg preach? Man, I could listen to that Irish voice speak all day long. And Alistair Begg one day got on and he talked about this ragman. And he talked about this ragman story. And I thought, well, this ought to be interesting. I loved his storytelling. And he talked about the fact that he didn't write the story, but that he was enamored with it. And he started reading the ragman. And I remember driving down the road and tears just flowing down my face. My wife will tell you I'm emotional anyway. I cried during commercials. It's, it's no secret. I'm a softie. Uh, I like to think I'm a tough guy, and, and in some ways I am, but I will cry at the drop of a hat. Weddings get me every time. I don't even have to know them. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. There's something about human emotion and getting wrapped up into that that just draws me in. And so when he started reading The Ragman, it was like, Oh, man, the emotion of the story just caught me. And tears just flowed. And ever since then, I've decided I'll share the ragman. Not every chance I get. I've only shared it a few times. 
But I thought today would be pretty good because we have people we all know who say, you know, I like church. I don't mind going. But I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people that put all my time into it. I have many other things that I do. Why church? Why Christ? And here's the answer to that. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange, like nothing in my life, my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Hush, child. Hush now, and I'll tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new. And he was calling in a clear, tenor voice, rags. Oh, the air was foul, and the first light was filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags, rags. Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six feet four, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed with intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a rag man in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the rag man saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into her handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The rag man stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked over to the woman, stepping round tin cans, dead toys, and pampers. Give me your rag, he said so gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up, and he laid across her palm a linen so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver. Then as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her, her stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to wept. To sob so grievously, his shoulders shaking, yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder I breathed myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from mystery. Rags, rags, new rags for old. In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops and I could see the shredded curtains hanging uh, out black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon the child with pity and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers, and I gasped at what I saw, for the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood, his own. Rags. Rags, I take old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work, he asked the man. 
who leaned against the telephone pole. Some man shook his head. The ragman pressed on. Do you have a job? Are you crazy? Sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing that the right sleeve of his jacket, flat, the cuff stuffed in his pocket, had no arm. So the ragman said, give me your jacket and I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket, so did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in the sleeve, and when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, but the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket. An old man hunched, reasoned and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it around himself, but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman. Though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling from drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old and sick. Yet he went with terrible speed. On spider's legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile the next, until he came to the limits, and then he rushed beyond. I weep to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow, and yet I needed to see where he was going in much haste, perhaps to know what drove him. The old rag man, he came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And then I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on the hill. Then he sighed and he laid down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with the old army blanket. And he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped into a junk car and I wailed and mourned as one who has no hope. Because I had come to love the ragman, every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him, but he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday and Saturday night as well. But then on Sunday morning, I was awakened by a violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light slammed against my sour face and I blinked and I looked and I saw the last, the first wonder of all. There was the ragman folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead but alive. And besides that, healthy. There was no signs of sorrow nor of age and all the rags that he had gathered shine for cleanliness. Well then, I lowered my head trembling from all that I had seen. I myself walked up to the ragman and I told him my name was Shane. For I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place and I said to him with your yearning in my voice, dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, he put on new rags on me and I'm a wonder beside him, the ragman ragman, the Christ. You see, why do we fellowship? Why do we get together? Why do we bother? Why do we do this? It all comes down to that. We fellowship together so that we can learn how to fellowship with him. 
because he's the one that died on the cross for our sins. He's the one that makes us new, makes us whole, makes us healthy. Because I'm gonna let you in on a secret. The sin in your life is killing you. It's death. Scripture tells us that. Unless you have the the grace that's covering you from being a Christian, you will die from that sin. It's inevitable. You are sick and you don't even know it. How do I know? Because I was once sick. I was once tormented. And then I asked the ragman to dress me. And my life changed forever. Is it all good? Is it all roses? No. We can't fix that. This is a sinful world that we live in. And until Christ returns, it will continue to be sinful. People say, why do bad things happen? Because free will, baby. God gives it to us. He gives it to us. And what do we do with it? Most of the time, we throw it away. We abuse it. Because we're sick. That sin inside of us says, I want that. Or I want this. And we allow it to torment us. We allow it to shred our heart. But I'm here to tell you today that you can ask the ragman to take all that from you. The ragman, the Christ. Because make no mistake, no club you join, no organization you're a part of, no sports that you do will ever save your soul from the sickness that is within. They're nice, they're fun, but there's only one way to heal that sickness and that's through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would be with everyone here today. Lord, many here already know you. Many have already traded in their sins for your grace, for your love. But Father, not everybody has. Not everybody here maybe has accepted you. Or maybe someone at home is sitting and listening and saying, I want the ragman to dress me. Well, it's real simple. All you have to do is pray to God and ask him to forgive you for your sins. Acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner, that that you can't save yourself and that you need him. You need Jesus Christ to save you from your own sins. If you pray that, if you pray, pray to walk away from the sin and pray to accept Christ, you can be a new believer. You can change your old rags for new. I just pray that that somebody out there has prayed today to be saved from their sins, to walk away from the old and toward the new. Lord, just allow us to learn how to fellowship, not just gathering, but how to fellowship with one another, how to challenge one another, how to be in unity with one another so that we can stand against the world and the sins that cave in on us. We just thank you and we praise you, Lord, for all that you do, all your glory and all your love. In your son's name we pray, amen.